0: Good morning, church. I hope everybody is doing well where they are at. Uh Tim has started a new sermon series called The New Normal. Um, you've probably heard that a few times in the last few months, with all the craziness happening in our world. Uh, the, there's a lot of changes. There's a lot of new normal for us. Uh, I'm Mike Dinius. If I didn't if you don't know me, uh, I know most people, but this is different for me. This is my first time doing video recorded for a service so i hope you are good where you're at i hope you're safe i hope all these crazy things happening in the world aren't affecting you as bad as they are some people today we're going to talk about god's new normal in our life and i've titled the sermon the catalyst Um, catalysts are things that ignite a change they change something they start a change Have you had a catalyst in your life? Have you had something start a change in your life? Was it COVID-19? Was it the protests and the riots? Was there a catalyst before all this? There are so many things in this world that ignite change, that start change. God wants a change in your life. He wants to start a change in your life if he hasn't already. And today that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at a character in scripture. His name is Josiah. He's a king in Israel. Now, when I think of kings in Israel and Judah, I think of David. I think of Solomon. I think of Hezekiah. Those were great kings. Um, they Solomon was the wisest king. David was a man after God's own heart. Hezekiah was a great king. There were also some pretty crappy kings in Judah and Israel there were there were men who just didn't love God they didn't know God in fact in 2nd kings 21 you see a couple of those kings one was manasseh and it says he was evil he did things like the nations around Judah he even set up an astral pole inside the temple of God now i want to keep this sermon kind of PG, so I'm not going to describe what an astropole is. And be very careful when you Google what an astropole is. But that's a big deal. That's bringing an idol into the Lord's temple. His son wasn't much better. Uh, he followed the practices of his dad. He was an evil king. He did not love the Lord. And he, there was, there was kind of a mutiny and he was killed and his son took his place as king of Judah at 8 years old. Josiah began his reign over the over the kingdom of Judah at the age of 8. My youngest daughter Kara is 8 years old right now. The world would be burning if my daughter was queen over the world right now. I can't imagine what would happen with an eight-year-old in charge. Some people think, well, it wouldn't be much different than what we have right now, would it? Well, I'm not of that camp. But, you know, it would be a little crazy. In his 18th year of reigning as king. So now he's 26. I can do math. Look at that. Uh, he's 26. And he says, you know what? Let's restore the temple. So let's get some money give it to the gatekeepers, and have them pay these guys to fix up the temple. So they do. They start fixing up the temple. You see, Scripture says Josiah was a man who loved the Lord. In uh, 2 Kings 22, it says uh, that he walked in all the ways of his father David. And that's in verse 2. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. You see, Josiah loved God. How do we get that? How does he come from this line of people that just blatantly don't love God, and yet he does? I don't know. Scripture doesn't really shine a light onto that. I just know he does. So they're rebuilding the temple. And as they're rebuilding the temple, they find this book. And they're like, what's this? And and a guy starts reading it, and he realizes it's the book of the law. It's scripture. And he's like, i got to take this to the king. So he takes the scripture to the king, takes it to Josiah and Josiah says, "Read it to me." and he starts reading the book of the law. he starts reading scripture to the king, and the king tears his clothes because he's so sad and distraught because he's seen the way Judah has lived, and the Lord is angry with them they they go to find out what the Lord has to say, they find a a prophet and they they say, Tell us what the Lord says. And and she said, the Lord's going to bring in calamity. The Lord's going to bring down fire and brimstone on you guys because you haven't followed what he said. Take that. But the king loves God and wants to change. So because of that, the king will live. Judah will live and prosper under this king because he has loved the Lord. Take that back to the king, and tell him what what he is to do. We're going to read Second Kings twenty three one through twenty seven, and I would encourage you pause this video, get out your Bible, and read Second Kings twenty three one through twenty seven. I will be reading it in the easy to read version because it's easy to read. Okay, so now that you've read it, you can follow along as I read. 2 Kings 23, starting in verse 1. King Josiah told all the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem to come meet with him. Then the king went up to the Lord's temple. All the people of Judah and the people who lived in Jerusalem went with him. The priests, the prophets, and all the people, from the least important to the most important, went with him. Then he read the book of agreement that was in the book of the law that was found in the Lord's temple. Josiah read the book so that all the people could hear it. The king stood by the column and made an agreement with the Lord. He promised to follow the Lord and to obey his commands, the laws, and his rules. He promised to do this with all his heart and his soul. He promised to obey the agreement written in the book. All the people stood to show that they promised to follow the agreement. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the other priests, and the gatekeepers to bring out of the Lord's temple all the dishes and the things that were made to honor Baal, Asherah, and the stars of heaven. Then Josiah burned all of those things outside of Jerusalem in the fields in the Kidron Valley. Then they carried the ashes to Bethel. The king of Judah had chosen some ordinary men to serve as priests. These false priests were burning incense at the high places in every city of Judah and all the towns around Jerusalem. They burned incense to honor Baal, the sun, the moon, the constellations, and all the stars in the sky. But Josiah stopped those false priests. Josiah removed the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple. He took the Asherah pole outside the city to the Kidron Valley and burned it there. Then he beat the burned pieces into dust and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. Then King Josiah broke down the houses of the male prostitutes who were in the Lord's temple. Women also used those houses and made little tent covers to honor the false goddess Asherah. At that time, the priest did not bring the sacrifices to Jerusalem and offer them on the Lord's altar in the temple. The priests lived in cities all over Judah. They burned incense and offered sacrifices at the high places in those cities. The high places were everywhere, from Geba to Beersheba, and the priests ate their unleavened bread in those towns with the ordinary people, not at the special place for priests in the temple in Jerusalem. But King Josiah ruined the high places and brought the priests to Jerusalem. Josiah also destroyed the high places that were on the left side of the city gate by the gate of Joshua. Joshua was the ruler of the city. Topheth was a place in the valley of Hinnom's son where people killed their children and burned them in an altar to honor the false god Molech. Josiah ruined that place so no one could use it again. In the past, the kings of Josiah had some horses and a chariot near the entrance to the Lord's temple. This was near the room of an important official named Nathan Melon. The horses and chariot were to honor the sun god. Josiah removed the horses and burned the chariot. In the past, the kings of Judah built altars on the roof of Ahab's building. King Manasseh had also built altars in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. Josiah destroyed all the altars and threw the broken pieces into the Kidron Valley. In the past, King Solomon built some high places on Destroyer Hill near Jerusalem. The high places were on the south side of that hill. King Solomon built one of those places to worship and honor Ashtoreth. That horrible thing the people of Sidon worship. He also built one to honor Chemosh, that horrible thing the Moabites worship. And King Solomon built one high place to honor Milcom, that horrible thing the Ammonites worship. But King Josiah ruined all of these places of worship. He broke all the memorial stones and asteropoles. Then he scattered dead men's bones over that place. Josiah also broke down the altar and high places of Bethel. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had made this altar. Jeroboam caused Israel to sin. Josiah broke down both that altar and the high place. He broke the stones of the altar to pieces, then beat it into dust and buried the asteropole. Josiah looked around and saw graves on the mountain. He sent men, and they took the bones from the graves. He burned the bones on the altar. In this way, Josiah ruined the altar. This happened according to the message from the Lord that the man of God announced. The man of God announced these things when Jeroboam stood beside the altar at the feast. Then Josiah looked around and saw the grave of the man of God. Josiah said, what is that monument I see? The people of the city told him, it is the grave of the man of God who came from Judah. This man of God told about the things you have done to the altar at Bethel. He said them long ago. Josiah said, leave the man of God alone. Do not move his bones. So they left his bones and the bones of the man of God from Samaria. Josiah also destroyed all the temples at the high places in the cities of Samaria. The kings of Israel have built those temples, which had made the Lord very angry. Josiah destroyed them, just as he had destroyed the place of worship at Bethel. Josiah killed all the priests of the high places that were in Samaria and he killed the priests on those altars and burned men's bones on the altars so they could never be used again. Then he went back to Jerusalem. Then King Josiah gave a command to all the people. He said, celebrate the Passover of your Lord, your God. Do this as it is written in the book of agreement. The people had not celebrated the Passover like this since the days when judges ruled Israel. None of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah had ever had such a big celebration for the Passover. They celebrated this Passover for the Lord in in Jerusalem during Josiah's 18th year as king. Josiah destroyed the mediums, wizards, the house of gods, the idols, and all the horrible things people worshipped in Judah and Jerusalem. He did this to obey the law written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest found in the temple. There had never been a king like Josiah before. Josiah turned to the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his strength. No king had followed all the law of Moses like Josiah, and there has never been a king like Josiah since that time. But the Lord did not stop being angry with the people of Judah. He was still angry with them for everything that Manasseh had done. The Lord said, I forced the Israelites to leave their land. I will do the same to Judah. I will take Judah from my sight. I will not accept Jerusalem. Yes, I chose that city. I was talking about Jerusalem when I said my name will be there, but I will destroy the temple in that place. And all the other things that Josiah did were written in the book, The History of the Kings of Judah. I read 28 at the end because it just finished the chapter. There's a lot there. Josiah did a lot. And the story of Josiah gives us a before and after picture. So with the kings leading up to Josiah, there was some stuff that was just happening before Josiah. Things like death, destruction, and loss. That was was before Josiah, before he founded the book of the law. But then entered that catalyst, the book of the law, that thing that changes the trajectory of everything in Josiah's life. After the catalyst in Judah, there was life, prosperity, and hope a new normal came over the kingdom of Judah. The word of the law, their Bible, came. They could see what they were doing wrong. They could see that there needed to be a change in their life. God wants a change in our lives too. He wants a catalyst to enter our life too. And that catalyst is his word. And today we're going to talk about how, we, how God's word can enter our life. You see, God's new normal can enter our lives, can enter my life through his word when I start with three things. The first is I make God's word a priority. We saw that in 2 Kings chapter 23. Josiah made God's word a priority. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, It says, these words I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Find them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If I'm making God's word a priority in my life, it's going to be evident in my family. Cassie and I, daily, now we're not perfect, there are nights when we forget to, but daily we have a devotional with our girls. Uh, we're very specific about which ones we read. We want them to be age appropriate. Uh, right now we're going through a yearly devotional book for girls. So as I'm reading it, it doesn't always apply to me, but I, I mean, it's not for me, it's for them. I have my own devotional that I do every day. And every night we sit there and read it. Some one of us reads scripture that goes with it and the other one reads the devotional. And we make it a point, a priority, that it's something we do daily. In Matthew 4, verse 4, it says, But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right here, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. He's been in the wilderness for 40 days. He's hungry. And Satan says, turn those rocks into bread. Eat. But Jesus knew Satan was tempting him. He didn't want to fall into that trap. And he tells Satan, I don't live by bread alone, but the word of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. If I'm going to make it a priority, if I'm going to make God's word a priority in my life, it has to be a priority. Food is a priority in my life. I don't know about you guys, but I like food. But is God's word as much a priority in my life as food? Mike, we have to eat to live. Well, I need God's word to live. I need God's word to guide me every day. And I'm in God's word every day. Here's some statistics that I found that that might be shocking to you. Um, They were shocking to me, and they were shocking with Cassie when I shared them. In 2018, Barna did a survey on Americans. Did you know 48% of American adults considered themselves Bible users? There's a little asterisk. They define a Bible user as someone who engages scripture 3 or more times a year outside of church services or a church setting. 3 or more times a year. That is not what I would consider a Bible user, but I'm going to go with it cuz this is what Barnes this is Barnes survey. I'm going to let them go with it. 14% ...of American adults say they read Scripture daily. That was higher than I expected. 14% of American adults read the Bible daily. 66% of American adults express at least some curiosity about what Scripture says. Okay, so if I do the math here, 66% of adults express curiosity... But only 48% of adults consider themselves Bible users. That's 18% of people have curiosity but don't do anything about it, even at least three times a year. Earlier this year, in a Pew Research survey, they were trying to figure out how many people in America claim Christianity as their religion. 70.6% of American adults claim Christianity as their religious identity. Okay, so let's do some more math. Seventy point six of American adults say they're Christians, but only forty-eight percent of American adults consider themselves Bible users, and only fourteen percent of American adults use the Bible, read the Bible daily. That seventy point six percent of Americans that claim Christianity. Christianity as a religious identity include Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way. I don't know if that matters to you, it did to me. So I think some of these stats are a little more generous, but we see the discrepancies between what we profess and what we live. We profess Christianity, but we don't open up scripture. And can I just, like, know you've been in quarantine since March. The, the, the old standby of, I'm too busy, doesn't really hold any water anymore. In fact, a lot of you, I, I've still been able to work. A lot of you haven't been able to work. You should be some Bible scholars by now. I mean, come on. I'm, I'm still working at, uh, a little over 40 hours a week. And I'm able to prepare a sermon, given they give me a few weeks to do it. I mean, but I'm reading scripture, about scripture. I'm reading other people's writings about scripture. I'm still working. So what's your excreasing, your excuse, your reasoning behind this? There's, there's, there's this other thing, this other thing that you guys have. Um, most of you have it. Look at that. This device, this beautiful device. I'm being recorded on them right now. You have more information here than most of humanity has had for the entire history of humanity, including every translation of the Bible. Every translation of the Bible is on here. And there's multiple apps for the Bible. There's multiple apps on reading the Bible. Priorities. Y'all are eating. And if eating is a priority, why isn't reading God's word a priority? Jesus said, we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So I'm asking you, is God's word a priority in your life? Because if it's not even a priority in your life, there's no catalyst that's going to happen. There's no change that's going to happen because God's word is a mirror for our life. If I woke up this morning and didn't brush my hair, look, this morning my hair was a hot mess, like Quarantine has done bad things to my hair. It's Look at how long it is. And now my hair's going to be messed up forever. But it was straight up. I looked like a bad vanilla ice reject guy. It was bad. But I looked in the mirror and I changed the way I look for you guys. Because honestly, I don't care how I look. Are you looking in God's word and seeing what you need to change in your life? Are you making that a priority? I'm going to ask you. This first point, make God's word a priority. Start today, it's not too late. God's catalyst can come into my life when I seek God's word for his purpose. That's the second thing. I seek God's word for his purpose. I don't look into God's word to promote Mike. Does that make sense? I don't work, I don't look in God's Word to promote me. I want to read God's Word because I want to see what He wants for my life. Sure, I get blessings, I get benefits out of changing because of what God's Word says. That's a, that's a side product. I, I want God's Word to advance. I want God's Word to be spread through the world. I want God's Word to be spoken, to be read. I want to. I want to seek God's word for His purpose. Why is it that far too often the only thing we see the Bible used for is swearing in? Uh, back in high school, um, I, I love music, love music. And back in high school, there was a band called Local H. They weren't a local band; they were a national band. But uh, they came out with a song called "Hands on the Bible." And every time I think of swearing in, I think of this song. And you would think, hey, this is a song about Jesus. It really wasn't. It really wasn't. Just here, let me read one little section of it. It says, hands on the Bible, scared like a child. God holds you liable for what you've done. I don't think they were using the Bible for God's purposes. It doesn't really sound... Like the loving father that I know. It doesn't really sound like somebody who actually reads scripture. They just have an opinion of it based on what they think they know of it. It sounds like somebody who just holds the Bible up instead of opens it. And I know some of you probably just thought of a political figure. And I'm not talking political figures. Because it's not just political figures who hold up the Bible as something to stand on without reading it. We all do the same thing. I can quote you something from the Bible and twist it to make it my own. I I can do that. I have enough knowledge of scripture. But I also have enough knowledge of scripture to know that I shouldn't do that. In Galatians it says if somebody preaches a gospel other than the one we've shared. Even if they're an angel let them be eternally condemned. Galatians 1, eight. I don't want to twist God's words. I want it to be used for his purpose. You know, Acts 17, verse 11. It says, They found that the Jews of Berea were of more noble character and much more open-minded than those of Thessalonica. They were hungry to learn and eagerly received the word. Every day they opened the scrolls of the scripture to search and examine them to verify what Paul had taught them was true. Trust me, I'm an idiot. I tell the teams when, when we teach that everyone's an idiot. We're just waiting to have our turns to show it. And I don't want you to take my word for anything I tell you in Scripture. I don't. That's why I like reading large chunks of Scripture when, when I'm teaching. I want you to see what it says and see for yourself what God wants you to do. You see, Hebrews 4 12-13 through 13 says, God's word is alive and working and sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us, where the soul and the spirit are joined, to the center of our joints and bones. And it judges the thoughts and feelings of our hearts. Nothing in all the world can be hidden from God. Everything is clear and lies open before him. And to him, we must explain the way we have lived. i got to ask you, have you ever wanted to have surgery? If you ever wanted to have surgery, I know there's some people who have a problem with uh, being addicted to cosmetic surgery. But I'm talking about life or death situations. Uh, a few years back, I uh, I was hurting. Um, you see, there was a week, bad things, there was just a lot happened, And Cassie was struggling. She actually was in the hospital. Um, the doctor was like, she can go home, but here's what you need to do. You need to take care of her. You need to keep the stress off of her. And, and just make sure she rests and recoups. I'm like, cool, that's awesome. That was a Monday. On Wednesday, I started feeling bad, like sick, and I'm like, ugh, crap. And I don't want Cassie to know, I don't want to put stress on her. So I just hit it. I just manned up, right? Thursday, I went home sick from work. Friday, I got up and I just made myself go to work, but I was just, well it was bad. Saturday morning, I'm on the couch. I cannot get up. I'm like, oh, I'm taking medicine. I'm like, oh, this is so bad. I'm so sick. It's so bad. My dad even came to check on me, which that's a big deal. He brought coloring books for the girls because he knew we were both feeling bad. Keep them occupied. By the end of the night, by the end of the afternoon, it's it's like 2 in the afternoon, something like that. Cassie's like, you need to call either Dave Campbell or John Wolfe. Two men that I respect their opinion, and they have medical uh, degrees. They understand what they're talking about. So I opt to text Dave. Like, Dave, here's my symptoms. Tell Cassie that I'm just being a little girl, then I'll get over it. In all capital letters, Dave text yelled at me that I needed to rush to the ER. My appendix was about to rupture. Like, and if you know Dave, he doesn't play around. Like, Grr! I'm like, okay, I'm going. Worst car ride ever. I felt every pothole. It was so bad. And Cassie drove me. Waited in the waiting room for a few hours. Finally get back to a bed. And the doctor comes in and he's talking to me and I'm in so much pain. He's like, so where's it hurt? And I show him where it hurts. He's putting on his gloves. He hip checks the bed. And I'm like, ah. He goes, did that hurt? I go, it didn't feel good. And then he just poked it. (laughs) That didn't feel good, did it? No, it didn't. Did not feel good. Now, mind you, I'm I'm self conscious somewhat of my body, especially in its naked form. And the doors were wide open to my room, and the nurse's station was right there, and he goes, Take it all off, I gotta check everything. Whatever, just make me better. And I just took it all off. And Cassie's like, uh and there's like five people in this room and the nurses are right there. I'm like, I don't care, make me better, it hurts. And I wanted to have the surgery. I wanted to have that pain removed. The word of God is like a double-edged sword. It's a scalpel. It will cut you. But trust me, you want to have that surgery. There are things in your life that need to be removed like a cancer. And God uses his word as his scalpel to remove them. Just like I wanted my appendix removed. God wants to remove the sin for your life, from your life. And by the way, his name is way better than my doctor. My surgeon's name was Dr. Bonebreak. I can't make that up. So there's a little fun fact for you. You, you see, earlier we talked about you can't live on bread alone. You need God's word in your life. Are you allowing it to cut you? Are you allowing it to be used for his purpose? Finally, the third thing that we need to do to allow God's word to come into our life and change us is I need to obey God's word publicly. This isn't something you hide. John 14, 20 through 21 says, When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me, and that because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Well, Mike, why do you have this passage in here? Well, it says those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. To accept and obey his commands, you got to know his commands. They're in Scripture. And to obey them, you obey them publicly. And if you do that... Says he will love you and reveal himself to each of you. John two, one through six says, Love means that we live by doing what he commands. We were commanded to live in love, and you have heard this from the beginning. And Matthew ten, thirty two through thirty three says, Those who declare publicly that they belong to me will do the same, I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. But those who reject me publicly, I will reject before my Father in heaven. You see, I'm reminded of a story that Kyle Eidelman tells in the Not A Fan series. He tells the story of this family, and they were getting ready to go on vacation, and they needed somebody to watch the house and take care of the plants and the animals. And so they they got This couple to come house sit for them, And they wrote out a list of everything they needed to do. Like take out the trash on this day. and, And feed the dog. And take it out. And the cat. Do feed them. Because they'll ignore you. But they want food. And water the plants. And all this stuff. And this family was going to be gone a significant amount of time. And they went on their vacation and had a great time. And when they come back. They come up to the house and the grass is dead and all the plants are dead and the dog is buried in the backyard dead and so is the cat and they're like and the trash is just piling up. And they're like, what happened? And they walk into the house and this family is sitting there and they're like, Oh my gosh, we're so glad you're back. We want to show you what happened while you were gone. And they're like, Yeah, we want to know what happened while we were gone. They're like, Look, and they bring out the list of things they needed to do. It's perfectly laminated and it's like pretty and pristine, and they're like, Look. We we read your word. We read everything you left. And uh, we even had some friends come over. We had a small group about it. We talked about the good things that it was saying, like water the plants and feed the dog and take care of. It, it was all great stuff. And, and we talked about it. And we discussed it. And we had dinner talking about it. It was a great time. We had a great time with our small group. And, you know, it, it was just some really good direction in our life. But you didn't do any of it. The dog's dead, the cat's dead. I gotta buy new plants, new grass seed. You didn't actually do what my list said, what my word said. how often does God look at us? How often does he look at us and see us sitting in this i was gonna say beautiful building um in this building, and uh it can be beautiful and how but how much are we sitting here we're we're singing and we're we're praising praising God with our mouths, right? But we don't know him. We're not obeying him publicly. Some of us, okay, how about the people who are obeying him privately but are too ashamed to obey him publicly? I want to be the person, when Jesus comes back, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to please my master. I want to please my Lord. And by doing that, I have to know what he says. And I have to do it. I have to obey it publicly. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. Maybe this is your first time thinking about this. Maybe you're new to Christianity. I want to encourage you to find somebody who's a little further down the path. And, and walk with them. Let them help you learn God's word. Just like in Acts 8, the Ethiopian treasurer, he does that. He has Philip to teach him. Maybe you've been around the block a few times, and you've just got stuck in the rut of doing things. Mike, I've gotten away from reading scripture. You know what? Today's a great day to start. A great day to start. Open up God's word. But don't just like, I'm gonna, right there. Isaiah, 50, wow, Isaiah 53, I did not even mean to do that. But that's a good passage to open up to. But, don't just randomly open up to scripture. Find a guide. There's an app called Through the Word. It will take you through the word. New version has devotionals on it. Right now I'm going through a Bible in a year plan. Today was day 165. Um, there's lots of stuff that you can do to develop this habit. Today is a great day to start getting into God's word, to make it a priority in your life, to seek it for his purposes and to obey him publicly. i want to leave you with one passage. It's James chapter one, verses 22 through 25. It says, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all they do. Today, I want you to experience God's blessing in all you do. I encourage you, get into his word, find somebody to guide you, and pray about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us your word, for giving us a a glimpse into eternity through it, for giving us something to help us uh, walk along this life. Thank you for your son who came to this world to take care of our sin and our shame so that we can live with you eternally eternally, and that because of your scripture, we can know how to have salvation. These scriptures have made us wise, Father. I want to pray for those out there who don't know your word, that they have a sense of urgency to find scripture, to read it, and to, to use this catalyst in their life for change. I want to pray for those of us who've just gotten stuck, God. I pray for a catalyst in our lives. That you can change our hearts. That we can once again turn to you and honor you with our words and our thoughts and our actions. That we can obey you publicly and we can seek your word for your purposes. And that it's a priority in our life. I'm so glad to be your child, Father. I'm so thankful so thankful for what Christ has done in my life. I love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.